0: one of the things i hear all the time derek and i don't know if you hear this too but i hear all the time people being like we live in such different times than before that like the church is entering um all new times um so some we need to get into it that way somehow So there's this interesting book called The Decadent Society by Ross uh, Duthat, and you know, let me be, you know, really honest and upfront because I know some people probably read his stuff in the New York Times and find him really super annoying, um, and and I don't have any kind of bias towards him in that way. Um, but I found I found some elements of it really interesting. And and because of kind of what you're saying, Derek, and hearing around the church, people talking about how the 21st century is so different and so wildly different. He has this very alternative thesis. And and I'm a little bit uh, this is a little bit arrogant because he's a journalist, obviously. And I, I feel like eh, I don't know if I trust journalists writing about, you know, their cultural critiques as much like, you know. Who am I with snooty. He's not from the Frankfurt School is what you're saying. He's not from the Frankfurt School, so can I – yeah. And he's, he's not from continental Europe, so can I really like him? But uh, I, found the, I found the book really thought-provoking because his argument is we are – not much has changed. His larger argument is like the world that we're living in is not that different. And so his he has this chapter in the middle of the book that he – he does the whole back to the future thing, you know, remember back to the future, obviously everyone knows 1985 and Marty McFly goes back in time to 1955. And it is just, you know, you watch that thing. It is a radically different world, 1955 in 1985. Like, you know, it's all set up to be incredibly different. The movie was so popular. Cause of course, you know, People remember how different those worlds were. There were a lot of people in 1985, 1986, 87. Baby boomer nostalgia in full effect. Yeah, right? and, well, really, in the, and really the baby boomers' parents were still around and still going to movies and, right. and things like that. You know, so they remembered growing up in the 19, um, you know, like parenting. And that through the nineteen fifties, and you know, um, you know, baby boomers too were almost too young to be Marty McFly in nineteen fifty five. You know what I mean? Um, they would have to be the really, really, really old baby boomers. But his point is, you know, that it was two thousand fifteen that it was the thirty year anniversary of that movie, which meant that in two thousand fifteen it was he went 30 years back in time that would be 30 and back years back to the forward. future
1: part 2 we were promised hoverboards and self-drying jackets and lacing nike's and all that
0: Yeah there, there, there's part there, there's part of that um and when you just think of 2015 compared to 1985 things are his his point and I tend to agree with him on this is things are not that different and of course some things are like Your cell phone, the streaming service, the access and availability, you know, there's a little Rosa kind of point here, the availability of all the media and all those SNL episodes are it's that's radically different. But his point is really the the advances we've seen have only been around kind of entertainment. The techn- technological advances have really been about kind of forms of entertainment and communication as entertainment. That when you think of like larger art forms, when you think of structural societal issues, it's not that different. That we are actually in a stagnating a stagnant time where we're seeing less. And this is what he means by the decadent society that we even even what drives us to bring out bring up changes tends to be about how we might entertain ourselves more, how we might have more access to more TV shows and more music, not really some great exploration out into some unknown world. And one of the things that made it really resonate with me is my daughter, who is 15, 15 and a half. She is addicted to 90s music. Like she knows pretty much every 80s and 90s song out there. She watches a lot of those old TV shows that um, and it's not to say that there isn't Like new music that's coming out. But I do think it is really kind of fascinating that it's not that. Different. There's not a whole different way of life. And I guess to put this in even Taylor language, that 1955 to 1985 was so radically different because you did have, at the end of the 1960s, the dawn of the ethic of authenticity, the dawn of the age of authenticity. We are still fully in the age of authenticity. And that's become radicalized. And that's become more combative and people are resisting it in certain ways and affirming it in other ways or, you know, whatever, but we haven't found a different way of actually being where we still are kind of driven by a more kind of therapeutic, authentic way of life.
1: So what's the implication for ministry? Do you think then in the, in the age of, of decadence, if, if things haven't changed, if things haven't changed maybe as much as as we would think, other than those maybe, entertainment and communications factors. Why does being a pastor feel different, or maybe does it? Is it not different, and we just haven't been around the block enough to where we don't know, and we just keep talking about how different it is?
0: Well, it it should I think it should feel really different for a pastor um, because if what has changed in the decadence is entertainment and that finds its way and maybe most productively at times finds its way inside of language in different language as a pastor as a minister um i mean your main medium is language um especially especially a kind of moral form of language and so that feels like oh my gosh like can I say this stuff anymore? How do I say this stuff? Oh, where what does it mean if I say this? Um, so that's there. And then just this deep sense of like people have so much access to so much decadent the decadence of so much information through entertainment that um they that that in many ways, I mean this the, the, what you do becomes even more and more muted or drowned out in all of that. So that that does feel huge. Like, you know, talk about the monoculture or whatever, but there was still a kind of sense like, well, Sundays were still for church or something like that. And, you know, there was still a kind of sense that like Seinfeld was only on Thursday nights at eight o'clock or whatever, you know, like now that's not true in any way. Like they're, th- this stuff is just available to you at at all at all moments, so it's easy to feel. I think it's easy to feel like, wow, this has really changed. But maybe it's because, maybe it's because not. Maybe it makes all sorts of sense that um, decadence and religious formation, decadence and spirituality would 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 in some sense overlap or be be bumping up against each other around the same space or something. So um, I guess w- one of the things that it might help us do is that when we think, oh, everything has changed so radically, everything has changed so radically, that uh, we don't think there's any resources in the past. You know what I mean? Like, um, we, we tend to feel like we're out on an island. And and I just I, I wonder if we would do better to to slow down and to learn from what is in the past. And I do think it is interesting to connect this with Rosa to kind of feel like maybe structurally or whatever, things things haven't changed, is not to deny that the acceleration thesis, that inside of this kind of... I mean, part of Rosa's point about what it means to live in an accelerated age is to be on a treadmill, running faster and faster, but not going anywhere. And I think that is kind of... His point in the decadent society is that as a whole, as a society, we're running faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And Silicon Valley is creating more and more and more breakthroughs, supposedly. But it doesn't go anywhere because it has no bigger purpose. And so I guess it ultimately reminds the pastor that at the end of the day, she needs to speak towards a deeper purpose for the human spirit, for the human being, that there's a deeper sense of of what life is for, of what we should search for, um, both as societies and as communities and um, as families and as persons.
1: When Church Stops Working, featuring Dr. Andrew Root. is a podcast produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Baker Publishing. You can grab Andy's brand new book, The Church After Innovation, which is out now on Amazon or wherever else you get your books, and look for his other titles as well. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of When Church Stops
0: Working.